if there's one thing I do well, or at least attempt to do well, it's trying to make sense of chaos and complexity. And I think making sense of complexity or embracing complexity is an important part or has been an important part of, of my personal growth experience, especially as uh, I very much get caught up in the happenings of people and existence. And as I further understand things like integral theory slash spiral dynamics slash the Graves model uh, levels of development, it becomes increasingly aware uh, that there is so much complexity happening. And I think there is a buzz consistently in the air, especially in the past decade or so, as social media has brought together worldviews in a way that's unexpected. People are communicating or getting to know other worldviews in a way that maybe they just never suspected would have happened in the past, right? So for a long time, for decades, there has been this like coexist uh, sticker, uh, bumper sticker on cars uh, for so long and hoping for this kumbaya coexistence when in actuality, I think there is more of a coexistence than ever. It's just not kumbaya happiness, right? <laughs> it's just, it's the intermingling of worldviews and ideas and concepts that contradict and counteract each other. And I think one of the biggest challenges is finding a way to stay in our own lane because there's just so many distractions of of enemies or wrongdoings or evils or things that trigger us. There's, there's triggers everywhere and triggers in the sense that maybe something that is a psychological shadow of ours or something that we don't just come understand or comprehend yet because it's of a worldview that is beyond our scope of understanding or perception or something that we've been through before that we see other people doing. And we're just like, ugh, we're like scoffing at them. Right. And so there's all sorts of awakening feelings and concepts that haven't been done at such scale in history before. And so it is requiring um, the ability for uh, some sense-making in the sense of complexity, but then also understanding why it's beneficial to you to stay in your own lane, whatever that lane may be, right? And so one of the examples I thought of is... Like imagine that you're in a conference and you're wandering the conference and you have a specific place that you're trying to go. You have a space in mind, but all the conferences are running at once and you wander into the wrong room. And instead of leaving that room and going to find your conference, you start opening a dialogue and arguing with them about their stance and saying that they're doing the wrong thing that they are talking about the wrong concepts, or maybe they're talking about it in an incorrect way, uh, or you see the room is full of people that you have deemed as evil or the opposite of you, and you get triggered and upset by it and start some sort of something about it. And you spend your whole time in that room arguing and fighting and trying to change people's minds. And then by the time the conference is over, you leave the room and you realize that your conference, the one that you wanted to go to, the one that would have actually been beneficial to your growth is over and you missed it. And I think that's largely what is happening for a lot of people right now is that there's so much infighting between various worldviews and levels of understanding that it's keeping people from being where they need to be. It's keeping us from focusing on you know, developing 
uh, a business that we need to develop or to focus on our meditation practices or to focus on uh, your schooling or getting a good job or developing your skills or or simply trying to uh, navigate your own ego identity and going out into the world and making mistakes, right? Something that is really important to me around personal growth is these five ideas that I've been sort of encapsulating into something that's super important for personal growth. Something I took from both Ken Wilber and Doshin Roshi, who's a Zen master, a Zen integral master, integral master. Uh, the ideas are fucking up, waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. And those different ideas, I think, encompass the various growth experiences for a person. And you're going to maybe oscillate between all of these things. But I think over the course of a human life, these are the things in probably that order, actually, that are going to be the most beneficial to someone who is seeking personal growth or seeking a better life for themselves. The first one fucking up being all about making mistakes, right? Like, you need to go out into the world and do the things that you think are right and then experience the consequences of them. <laughs> so uh, I would rather you, if you're someone who is on the younger side, like get into a relationship at a younger age, regardless of whatever the relationship is or however that pans out, in order to figure out and experience relationship dynamics. In a lot of ways, fucking up is about experience. It's about um, making the mistakes of being yourself. <laughs> <laughs> making the mistake of fully expressing who you are and then experiencing the consequences of that. Meaning that when you're a teenager and you fall into like puppy love, for example, and you want to get into a space of, um, of, of, you know, really falling in love with this person. And then you start to experience their flaws and they're experiencing your flaws. And now you're experiencing conflict and relational needs and this, disparity between maybe your imagination of what the relationship is or should be versus the reality of what you're experiencing. Perhaps you had a fantasy about this person and now they're turning out to be a heathen <laughs> in your eyes and, you know, having to experience that and, you know, do that with multiple relationships so that you're experiencing different archetypes and different personalities and how yourself interacts with another self and, you know, make a lot of mistakes along the way. It's not just for relationships, but like all sorts of different areas of life, you know, with your parents or with peers or with, uh, you know, trying to get a job, trying different multiple jobs and being yourself in the job and then seeing that being yourself doesn't necessarily work in those circumstances. Right. And so you're you're testing yourself against the world. And I think that's what fucking up really is all about. And then there's waking up. Waking up is waking up to the idea that like, oh, well, just completely being myself is not necessarily it. It's not about fully denying myself, but that might start as that. It might be finding uh, a religion or an antith antithesis to a religion or uh, some sort of community or some place that you do end up fitting into and trusting their judgment, maybe a little bit more than your own. Um, but then also waking up and becoming more conscious over time of your existence as a person, your awareness, right? There's this really great song by Cheap Trick called Surrender. And it's about, um, you know, doing what you want, but like, don't give yourself away. And uh, that means like, sometimes you just got to play the game. And part of waking up and growing up essentially is about kind of playing the game. Waking up is more so, I should say, about 
becoming consciously aware, becoming aware that you have a psychology, that you have physical chemicals that are affecting you, that you are maybe in need of some sort of some discipline or, or maybe to pull back from being so hyper-disciplined or being judgmental or whatever, right? Sometimes getting to know personality stuff is like the beginnings of, of awakening for somebody. Um, and then sometimes spiritual practices, it's like, you know, being, serving your community or going to church or, uh, having a belief in something and, um, something, you know, that's kind of bigger than yourself can be a part of, of waking up. When I say waking up, I don't mean woke in the the sort of uh, colloquial term. I mean waking up and uh, and sort of just like not unconsciously floating through life and not just uh, letting your karma and your whims and your reactions just float you away to whatever the next problem is, and then blaming all of your problems on unconscious on the dream, right? So it's it's being lucid in the dream that is our existence. It's being awake and being able to make your own choices and be a little bit more conscious of what it is that you're doing and start to realize that every action has a reaction or a cause and effect to it. And so you're just being more conscious of that. And then growing up is, you know, taking responsibility, Um, maybe not necessarily in the societal definition of it, but in the simple idea of responding instead of reacting, like reacting is just you know, another version of being asleep and you're having an unconscious reaction. Like someone says something and you just like immediately burst out. Like, did you choose to do that? Or that just happened? You're just, you're just operating, right? You're basically an automaton that's reacting. Uh, so growing up is learning how to be responsive and responsible. Um, you know, perhaps getting a job or starting to start your own business or freelance or, uh, starting to, fix some of those fucking up mistakes that you made in the past. If it's a relationship issues, like not just being self-aware in the jokey way of like, Oh yeah, I'm such a mess, (laughs) but like actually starting to make behavior change and starting to mature. And, And I don't mean being rigid, like you can be mature and still be fun, but it's, it's not being reckless and it's not, um, it's not blaming or shaming or any of that stuff. It's it's growing psychologically. It's starting to get to know philosophy. It's maybe getting to know, um, you know, the the different ways that people have explored consciousness and psychology and social things and not social uh, justice or anything. But I mean, like social studies. Getting to know how people operate. Getting to know that other people exist and, and have their own sovereignty. And uh, you know, taking. Uh, and developing your own sovereignty and continuing to grow as a person. I think that's super important. And then uh, cleaning up is eventually getting into a place where you're sort of going through your own history and realizing all of the ways that you were acting unconsciously or all of the places that maybe you had to ignore or repress or skip because at some point in your life, you thought they were too dangerous to to take on. For me, I'm very heavily steeped in cleanup work right now. And it's very debilitating, debilitating. I don't really know what to do when I'm during, when I'm in this state, I'm just doing a lot of learning and feeling and listening. And, you know, sometimes talking on this podcast and expressing myself because I don't really know what to do with my uh, stuff yet. You know, I'm not at the show up stage yet in uh, a way that's going to be actually beneficial to humanity. 
But uh, cleaning up is tough because cleaning up feels like a very selfish place. It's like getting back into a self-focused place a little bit of, you know, wading through the dirt, you know, whereas the ideas of waking up sound alluring to a lot of people because it sounds like a spiritual awakening and enlightenment. And that's not what I'm talking about. Um, you know, that's another way of uh, dissociating sometimes. I'm not talking about dissociation. When it comes to cleanup work, it's like getting into the mud and the muck of like your past and your experience and who you are and and what you're actually doing when you think you're doing something else. Trying to get to know the evils within yourself. And for me, that's been this process of getting to know my own repressed sadness and uh, that I haven't expressed. I haven't really complained or expressed distress in over two decades. The last time I had a big, good cry was because I was expressing distress. And I was expressing a distress in front of my parents who are, you know, in my eyes, the the person that you feel like the people you feel like are supposed to protect you. And in that moment, I didn't feel protected. That's not their fault. I'm not blaming them. Um, but it was a situation where I asked for something unreasonable and they, you know, they, they countered me. And then I felt like I, I, you know, I just kind of let go in, in that sort of distress. And and so I've been feeling personally, like a lot of my cleanup work has been around this feeling of distress, of, of getting to know this part of me and like, what are the areas that I do want to express distress more? Um, even something I haven't really expressed on the podcast, like there's an inherent sadness uh, within me that I haven't accessed and I don't necessarily know how to access. And um, I've been trying to do that through some meditation, but it's not enlightening, pretty work. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. My body is rebelling against it. It doesn't feel good. It feels super uncomfortable. And it's another part of me trying to let go of my own personal programming that is really, really hard to do. It's one thing to let go of seriousness and to be a lighter person. And I feel like I've been doing some of that, but I also feel like to access pure joy, I need to be able to access deep sadness. It's kind of like when someone uh, experiences, uh, uh, you know, their, their child is having a child and they find out for the first time and they're so elated that they're crying. <clears throat> I've never experienced the kind of, of joy or depth of com complex emotion that I was both happy and crying at the same time. And I think there is a depth of joy of letting go uh, where you can experience that. And I'm, I'm not quite there. And so for me, that's like what cleanup work is really looking like. And there's a collective cleanup work that needs to happen. There's a bit of an authoritarian shadow at the moment amongst many of my millennial friends and some, you know, Gen Xers and boomers as well. And a lot of Gen Z who are kind of getting indoctrinated into, um, you know, the, the, that sort of culture they were born into. And, um, it, it's a lot of people working through needing to work through some of their own shadow material. For me, I'm embracing that I have very much an authoritarian shadow. Um, but I think that is the, the connected to that distress feeling that because I feel so distressed and I'm not actually expressing it authentically and then wanting to do something about it, that it, that it comes out unconsciously as, as uh, me telling people what to do and how to live their lives. <laughs> and so I think at scale, there's kind of an archetype or an egregore that is showing up in that kind of way. An egregore is like a, in the paranormal field, it's an entity that is created 
as a result of uh, a belief of what this thing is. And so, you know, whether or not the paranormal aspect of it is true or not, is not relevant to the idea that there's, um, there's, there's also a phenomenon, I forget what it's called, but it's the belief that a group of people believe something, but they actually don't. And so ever that everybody in the group believes that everybody else in the group believes something, but they don't. And so it kind of creates this unconscious uh, archetype that, that occurs and everyone kind of half pregnantly believing in this thing. Uh, and then it's just sort of manifests as an unconscious behavior because no one's actually pointing out and saying like, wait, is this really what we're, does anyone actually believe this? Uh, what's the, what are the specifics here? What are the details? Can we criticize this? Uh, and, you know, unless you're able to do that, you don't really get to the meat of whatever's, whatever's happening and diffusing the egregore energy. Cause it's just like, if everyone believes that other people believe this and then there's a behavior attached to it, then that perpetuates that archetype is kind of what I'm saying. So cleanup work is important. And it's not about going into the room where those people are and fixing them. It's cleanup work is cleaning up yourself and, and going through and, and uh, cleansing the the channels as it were uh, of, of what your experience is and has been. And sometimes that involves like physically eating healthier and um, exercising and, and improving your relationships, um, maybe improving family dynamics and stuff like that. There's a whole swath of cleaning up that needs to be done. But if you're not careful, cleaning up can, again, become something where you're like pointing at others to clean up and it becomes a projection instead of something that you work on. So cleaning up is important and that's why I'm talking about it in such detail because it's something that like I'm working through. And so the last one is showing up and something I see others doing very well, but something I haven't quite fully felt. Like I feel like it's something on the horizon, but I feel like this cleanup work is vital because if I get to know my prejudices, my shadow, and these elements of myself, then I feel like I would be able to show up and be able to be uh, perhaps a guide or a teacher or uh, an artist, or I don't know what that's going to manifest as, but I'm starting to feel like for me to show up and be supportive in the way that I would need to actually be helpful to people who are going through these stages of, of fucking up, waking up, growing up and cleaning up to facilitate and support their transitions through each phase um, that I have to do my own stuff. Like, I don't think it would be fair for anyone to teach something that they haven't personally gone through themselves. That's kind of why I don't really teach about other personality types. Cause I'm not those personality types. Um, or haven't had a lot of experience with those other personality types, I should say, because there are amazing teachers who have had a lot of experience with other varying personality types and they're able to do that. But that's not in my, that's not my system. That's just not like how I interact with the world. So I would not be beneficial to doing that. Um, and so, you know, the, another way to think about the spiral dynamics of it all of, of the ways that people are like, the, the ways that we can stay our own, in our own lane is to think about, you know, I've been using like kind of the colors and numbers, but I'm learning that there are terms that I think are much more uh, obvious. So there's magical, mythic, traditional, modern, postmodern, and integral. That's more of the integral theory idea. And um, I've actually seen this in like person. I know a lot of people who follow me or listen to this podcast are into like personality types. So I'll use that as a reference point. Whereas 
you know, magical thinking is, is a little bit more in like the astrology realm. It's more of like the planets are deciding what's happening and uh, some, some relevance to nature. It could be like the wind, it could be whatever. It's more of like in that sort of scope, magical thinking when you're a kid is, is like the tooth fairy and Santa Claus and those kinds of uh, beginnings of your imagination and belief and operating basically solely in belief and not that astrology is completely about belief, but it, if a lot of people who are using it kind of operate in that way. Um, and again, nothing wrong with it. That's a part of what some people need to do. Um, and then the mythic kind of stage opens up, um, still has some relationship to astrology, but I think it opens up a connection to uh, archetypes. So if you think about uh, Greek gods or like the Norse gods, you've got like Thor and Odin and Loki, you've got these archetypes that have behaviors to them and people connect to these behaviors. And so I think with personality types, you can think about archetypes in that way, or you can think about the kind of cube people that 16 personalities has created uh, where these characters are kind of archetypes in themselves and people necessarily uh, don't necessarily relate to the four letter code and all the information behind it, but they maybe relate to the archetype. And they say like, oh, I fit an ISTP because I kind of fit this machinist archetype, right? Or I'm an INTP because I kind of fit this, this theoretical physicist archetype or something like that. You know, whatever the archetype is being expressed as among, amongst the culture that it's being expressed in. And so I know on Twitter, there's like cube Twitter. There's like people who are using the cube people to express archetypes. And I think that's kind of that manifestation of the mythic element. And then there's the traditional. Traditional is kind of looking at the academia of it all and looking at uh, what is, you know, the tradition, what, what is the source material? How has that been passed down and how is that traditionally been used? And so for a lot of people in personality, that's like Myers-Briggs and then going even further into Carl Jung. And so sometimes you can have debates with people online and you're talking about personality stuff and trying to express something that maybe if you're of a later worldview, something that you've experienced, like much of the time they're going to end up referencing or quoting a book uh, that they read that is traditionally related to the earlier years of, of personality theory and looking to what, you know, the original source said, it's kind of like in academia, you're like sort of trusting the experts in a way uh, and putting all of your faith in that. It's sort of the same way that someone might traditionally or absolutely buy into a religion, a singular religion, a single worldview or single point of imagination where <clears throat> this thing or this idea is telling you what, what to think. And, um, and I'll say that in a negative cynical way, I just say that that's, you're sort of trusting the singular source or sources surrounding this singular entity or idea. Um, and then, you know, moving forward, you've got more complex material. Whereas when people get into the next stage, which is modern, which is more about like, uh, achievement and statistics and science and provable what's evidence-based, uh, a lot of people tend to lean towards like big five because it's like something that you can actually experience. Uh, it's like traits, right? And a lot of people really like that, especially if you're an ENTJ. I find that those types, more of the, 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 
the TE people, the TJs in the Myers-Briggs system tend to lean towards um, something like big five in this stage because it's useful as well. It's useful to see people's traits and be able to utilize them. And so when it comes to, I'm sorry for the bird in the background. I'm just suddenly being aware of it Um, (laughs) and then calling it out, which is going to make it better. Right. Uh, But we're just going to keep soldiering on because I can't make the bird stop. Um, (laughs) And so big five is something that is, uh, can be utilized in a business context or in uh, improving relationships and trying to navigate the world on your own outside of any kind of belief system. And so that's why a lot of people end up leaning on science or psychology, uh, because these are reference points that we can use to have our own sense of sovereignty instead of relying on a, um, you know, a, 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 an, an academic, academic or uh, established traditional sovereignty, if that makes sense. You're not submitting to a sovereignty, you're creating your own sovereignty. And so... Um, big five is one of those things, but then there's like cognitive functions and trying to understand some of the, the intellectual nuance and sometimes running experiments on, you know, trying to understand people. Sometimes that can awaken speculation and confusion, right? Uh, speculation is a big thing in this space. And so you really get a, uh, you get a lot of, um, uh, uh, second guessing some of the books in favor of personal experimentation and experience, or maybe dismissing other people's personal experiences or not fully accepting them because you're not sure if they know what they're talking about. You're not sure who, like there's always some question that you can ask to scrutinize and not be completely, not ever be completely sure. Uh, So this modern space uh, can fit that a little bit, or it can be again, utilized as a tool something that my friends at personality hacker does do really well is that at their profile at training events, um, after having you go through like a hundred hours of material, I think it's that much, but it's, it's tens of hours of material that have been sourced from not only, uh, their experience doing profiling sessions, which are one-on-one interviews sitting and talking to somebody, but also all of their academic research and knowledge that they've done, um, with both personal experience in their own individual fields, but then uh, putting that all together in uh, a package that is practical, that you le- you're learning how to develop a skill that you can possibly monetize and start a business around or incorporate into your business if you're a therapist, psychologist, or, or something like that. Or if you're running a big company and you want to conduct interviews so that uh, you can get to know your your employees or you know, uh, improve, uh, hiring practices, not to discriminate, but to be able to, uh, figure out how to, uh, uh, optimize informationally, like your business structure, right. Not, not in a way that is about, um, stereotyping, but it is a way about literally looking at like, what is the missing element of our business and what, personality traits or type of person could possibly fit this as at least as a reference point, not in its totality. And so profiler training, they have what are called embodiment exercises that they do, which is basically having everyone in the room run an experiment on themselves to try these various uh, personality, the, the cognitive functions. Basically you're prompted of how this cognitive function would be used. And then 
asked to reveal whether or not you got, you know, what your response to that is basically doing an active survey in the moment of like, okay, I felt this, I got a great reward from this. Um, or I, I, this lasted forever and it was miserable, like getting the various experiences and then tying them to different personality types. So that's kind of like a modernist use. And then there's the postmodern, which is more esoteric. It's more about, um, the, the sort of getting back into belief and not necessarily about scrutinizing all the time, but there's a relativism to it. It's like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that are true, <laughs> um, kind of thing. Uh, and so you see this as like, uh, in the personality types, it at least manifests as like, um, uh, doing more meditation practices, understanding maybe your view into meditation practices, resurgence of archetype work as part of like cleanup work. There's things like active imagination, uh, doing like drum circles and things like that. Uh, some new age thinking a little bit, and it's not without academia. It's just incorporating all of the elements that came before into a less rigid framework of trying to understand, uh, trying to understand and accept and embrace the complexities of our existence. And so Dario Nardi does a great job of facilitating these things. He does drum circles at profiler training, but he also is doing brain research and brain scans and doing very much the modern stuff. And then also honoring the traditional web by honoring Carl Jung's work. And um, he also does a lot of interviews throughout uh, various YouTube channels and stuff. So he's, he's up and down the spiral uh, and I think he's he's a really interesting example to follow if you're interested in someone who is doing work at various stages. And all I'm saying is I got to take a quick break because I'm running out of time. Give me one second. So I took a few minutes to upload and uh, I kind of forgot where I was. <laughs> I could listen back, but it's fine. Uh, I know I was talking about Dario and um, he, he does such great work uh, up and down spiral for for personality development stuff so looking into his work is really helpful and i reference him a lot and he's a he's a great guy um so you know in terms of personality stuff and like this integral theory and referencing these different stages i think for you listening if you know any of these stages resonate with you in some sense or uh one of the best ways to know is like if you get kind of squinty eyed and a little bit of fear of one stage and then feel some sort of like frustration or disdain with a previous stage, you're probably in the middle, right? So if you're um, feeling like you are annoyed at the people who are scrutinizing things all the time, but then also um, uh, or not no, frustrated or, or afraid that people who are doing the, uh, that, that, that personality type being too open source is bad for the personality type, but then also, uh, that the cube people and the archetypes are being too cute and not taking it seriously enough. Maybe you're in the traditionalist stage, but I think most people listening to this podcast are probably somewhere in the modern or postmodern place. I don't know. Maybe I have no idea. Um, but this is just, you know, these are stuff that I'm things that I'm playing with. And uh, I like using the integral integral theory model because it helps me understand complexity or at least feel like I understand complexity to navigate it enough uh, you know, and I, I combine this with like generational theory and human design. And what's interesting too, is that in human design, I have what's called an open head center and that can kind of make me get caught up in the dizziness of 
of esoteric uh, concepts. <laughs> um, but I also have uh, a defined Ajna, which is like kind of the lower head, which is more about like convictions and um, opinions and uh, knowing how I feel about things. <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty confident in sharing what I know. And I think this, these structures, these, these ways of thinking, these um, concepts, these uh, frameworks, I should say, help me to not necessarily just get dizzy about everything, right? Because it's really easy to get caught up in the dizziness of looking at the world as TV static. It's just like everybody's in a town hall just screaming at each other. And I think for me to have these frameworks, I can talk to a person about a concept and I can say like, oh, this person's in a traditional stage. So they're they're embracing personality type or or whatever the industry is in this sort of way. And so I'm just going to let them talk and, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily get into an argument because the arguments are not really going to go anywhere. Or if someone's in more of a modernist stage that they're going to favor more evidence-based stuff. And maybe I shouldn't get so esoteric and, and woo woo with them about, uh, some ideas, right. And, and meet them where they are. I mean, at least that's what I'm trying to do. I think for you listening, it might be better for you if you identify where you are and then realize that other people are doing other things or that if someone triggers you, there's either something within you that also is capable of the same thing or has done the same thing or will do the same thing or a version of the same thing. And uh, it's going to be more beneficial for you to seek the spaces that are going to make you feel good. I don't mean an echo chamber, but I mean somewhere that's going to nurture your growth, maybe challenge you in a healthy way, not be codependent. You know, a lot of people are codependent in their, our role being relative to someone else's pain, right? Whether it's like, we're a rescuer fighting a perpetrator, and then both the rescuer and the perpetrator find some sense of value over saving or harming a victim or keeping a victim as a victim. And then the victim themselves also feel this sense of, uh, uh, of keeping themselves down and not stepping into the light because they're waiting for the war to end. <laughs> you know, they're waiting for the rescuer and perpetrator to stop their madness before they can live their life, you know? And so this is an expression of the drama triangle and then shifting into what's called the empowerment dynamic where the victim now becomes a creator and you can actually start to take some sovereignty and start to make things for yourself and start to, uh, focus, you know, stay in your own lane, like I said, and just do the next thing that you've got to do for yourself and just do one thing at a time. A lot of the mental panic and anxiety comes from trying to think too many steps ahead when maybe you're not capable of that. And so, I mean, I'm even talking to like introverted intuition people who do think far ahead, whereas, because that's just forecasting, that's not reality. And I know some friends who are introverted intuition people who have the pandemic really messed up their five-year plan, right? And now you have to adapt to the reality and change your your plan and change your circumstance. And that's really hard for an introverted intuition person to do because they set a goal, they set a thing to manifest, and then they work on manifesting that. And so for them to have to reset is frustrating. It's a lot of work. It's um, It's a big bummer, right? So um, for you to focus and stay in your own lane is to get into a creator energy of 
then, you know, maybe you do need help from a coach or a challenger or someone to like push you a little bit, but not someone who's attached to any sort of uh, 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 semblance of what you need to do to make them feel good. Right. I, I think that's one of the big mission. If I had a mission, I think it would be to help a lot of people feel a sense of individual sovereignty that like you can make your own choices. You can trust yourself to some degree um, or trust that where you are is where you need to be. So if your feeling right now is to, is to be more of in a place of submitting to an ideal and whether that's a God or a specific way of thinking or academia or your job or whatever, then be there, right? Stop interfacing with all these other levels or people before you or people ahead of you. Because again, it's like the equivalent of going into a conference room and starting to yell at people who are not even in the room that you want to be in, you know, go find the rooms that you want to be in. And, you know, they will include the healthier rooms will include challengers, but not people who are outright trying to victimize you. They're not, they don't have a sense of self-worth that is predicated on knocking you down, but they may challenge you if they need you, if you need to grow, if you need to stretch yourself. Right. So those to me, I think are the differences between a healthy room and an unhealthy room, unhealthy being this like codependence. And even within yourself, if you feel like your sense of self-worth is coming from arguing with people on the internet, just think about all of that time that's not being put towards you know, focusing on your skill set or, you know, developing an understanding of something in, you know, the way that you actually want to understand it. And then the, 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 you know, the healthy sense is finding people who will challenge you, finding people who are going to coach you and support you, but it's not necessarily completely an echo chamber. It's not completely protected. There are going to be challenges, uh, but you're just not inundated with this feeling of fear and anxiety constantly all the time. And so for me, understanding these frameworks is a way of like, not only me staying in the lanes that I need to be in, but helping other people to, whenever helping other people in, in, indirectly <laughs> by not trying to pull them to where I am. Cause that's another thing too, is I feel like we're constantly trying to get people to be where we are and you know, we as humans are not really great at accepting reality. <laughs> like we're fundamentally run by our imaginations and our memory, our imagination being projections of what's coming or what's outside of our perspective uh, and, and peer view. Um, but then our memories of, of what came before and recycling all of our old thoughts and not experiencing new things and not embracing or accepting the reality of what's happening right now. Like I said, with the, the NI people or anyone generally who is, uh, derailed by the pandemic, you know, it, it's taking a lot of people to recal a lot of time for some people to recalibrate to the change in circumstances, to the change in tone, to the change in conversation. And I think so many of us are struggling to rebalance or to figure out how to operate in this world where we are exposed and coexisting in a way that we've never experienced and seen before. So I think that's yeah, I think that's everything I really wanted to cover. You know, um, there's other stuff I'm sure I'll bring up, but you know, I'm really personally developing a little bit of a specialty in integral theory and, uh, 
wrangling of chaos. <laughs> I don't really know what to do with it. And I don't even think it's really about knowing what to do with it right now because it's part of my cleanup work to just kind of be where I am. Uh, some of it is sharing this stuff with you and maybe it helps by proxy, but um, uh, I'm kind of just talking out loud and sharing stuff. So if this makes sense, uh, let me know. You can leave a comment, share all that fun stuff, like subscribe. Uh, we have courses at happy chemicals, happychemicals.org for INTPs about productivity, relationships, and energetic growth. And then, um, yeah, that's really it. So I'm Christian Rivera. This has been dopamine and other happy chemicals, and I'll catch you next time. See ya.